Boy, that's great. Look at all those kids. If you will please uh, turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 88. Um, sometimes when I'm uh, doing my scheduled reading uh, through the Psalms, uh, I have to say that there are uh, some Psalms that are more dear to me uh, than others. There are uh, some that are easier for me to, to pray God, back to God uh, than others. Um, some are well marked up in my Bible. Others not so much. Um, typically, when I've come to Psalm 88, I kind of skim through it and breathe a sigh of relief and go on to the next one. I notice there's not a single mark uh, in Psalm 88 in uh, my Bible. Well, a few months ago, uh, as I was having my quiet time in the morning, the Lord impressed on me. You know, Psalm 88 is there for a reason, too. And uh, it would be a good idea for me to dig into Psalm 88 and learn that and learn what God has to say uh, to me concerning Psalm 88. And so I wanted to share that with you this morning and, uh, and see if we can glean some truth that will be helpful to our souls in Psalm 88. So let's, uh, if you'll follow along as I read <coughs> Psalm 88, um, I'm reading uh, from the New American Standard Bible, the 1977 uh, edition of that. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before thee. Let my prayer come before thee, incline thine ear to my cry. For my soul has had enough troubles and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom thou dost remember no more, and they are cut off from thy hand. Thou hast put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. Thy wrath has rested upon me, and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Selah. Thou hast removed my acquaintances far from me. Thou hast made me an object of loathing to them. I am shut up and cannot go out. My eye has wasted away because of affliction. I have called upon thee every day, O Lord. I have spread out my hands to thee. Wilt thou perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise thee? Selah. Will thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, thy faithfulness at Abaddon? 
will thy wonders be made known in the darkness and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness. But I, O Lord, have cried out to thee for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before thee. O Lord, why dost thou reject my soul? Why dost thou hide thy face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffered thy terrors. I am overcome. Thy burning anger has passed over me. Thy terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They have encompassed me altogether. Thou hast removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we look into your word this morning, give us insight for our own souls. Help us to understand with our minds, to feel with our hearts the pain of this dear saint and to know from your word the truths that we can glean for the pains that come into our own lives. So we commit our time to you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we look at the actual text of the psalm, I'd like for us to look at the superscription of the psalm, which I did not read uh, this morning. But in my Bible, it says this. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the choir director, according to Mahalath Leonoth, a mascal of Haman the Ezraite. Well, it's the darkest of all the songs. Um, it doesn't have a happy ending. But we can learn some things as we look at this. First of all, we see from that superscription that it was a psalm of the sons of Korah. Sons of Korah uh, wrote 11 of the psalms, including some of our most beloved uh, psalms. And we see that the specific son of Korah who wrote this psalm was Haman the Ezraite. So who was this? Who was this? Well, the scripture tells us who he was. He was the grandson of Samuel. First Chronicles 6.33 tells us that. He was a confidant of King David. He was his seer, his, his prophet. 1 Chronicles 25, 5. Haman the Ezraite was one of three men to be in charge of temple music. 1 Chronicles 25, verse 6. And here's one that I thought was very interesting, especially in light of this particular psalm. Haman the Ezraite was present when the glory of God so filled the temple that the priests were not able to minister. Now, I've never seen the glory of God like that. I don't think you have either. But he was there. He was there. Second Chronicles 5, 11 through 14. This man was a faithful believer. He was a faithful servant of the Lord. 
He was actively involved in ministry. But something's going on here with Haman, isn't it? Has he had a terrible event take place in his life? Is he simply depressed and needs to be medicated? Um, Daniel Berger II, in his groundbreaking book, Rethinking Depression, Not a Sickness, Not a Sin, said this. I don't know if you can read that or not. I'll, I'll read it for you. What if deep sorrow, hopelessness, guilt, and the numerous other vexations of the soul are all features of normalcy instead of indications of abnormality? What if we are all burdened with the reality of this fallen world and the subsequent impairments and distresses? Then how we approach those who have come to realize or be transparent about their true, impaired, and naturally hopeless condition will look far different from approaching them as abnormal. So may we just say that the psalmist here, while we don't know what might have been the immediate cause of the desperation of his soul, was experiencing what it is to live in a fallen world. Disease, death, natural disaster, sin, relational brokenness. He was experiencing that. And while he was almost certainly one of God's elect, even the greatest of saints has sometimes doubted the gracious activity of God in his life. Now let's look at the first couple of verses here. Actually, the first verse. O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before thee. So we have a positive principle right away. My sweet wife said, can you please say some positive things about this? I have a positive principle right away. As plaintive as this verse is, when our lives are the darkest, it's important to cry out to God. He says, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and night before you. He addresses God by two names. He says, Lord, and in your Bible, the word Lord is probably in all caps. If it's in all caps, that's because the uh, Hebrew name of God that is used here is Yahweh, Jehovah. The God, the name by which God described himself to Moses, I am the self-existent God, the covenant keeping God, the, the personal God. He's the one who made covenant with Israel, this Lord, this Jehovah. Remember, Haman is a confidant of King David. This Lord is the one of whom King David wrote in Psalm 103. The Lord, Jehovah, performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts 
to the sons of Israel. The Lord, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. The day will come when the covenant is completed, salvation is consummated, and this dear saint will be full partaker in the new covenant and will worship before Jehovah's throne. And in calling him Lord, Jehovah, he is acknowledging that. He also calls him God, Elohim, Elohim, uh, that is the powerful judge, the sovereign of the universe, who brought about his salvation. Notice he's not isolating himself from God. He's saying the God of my salvation, the God of my salvation. He does the one thing necessary at such a time. He cries out to God and he begs for God to hear him. In fact, seven times in this psalm, Haman prays or cries out to God. And let's look at his prayer starting in verse 3. He says, for my soul has had enough troubles. My life has drawn near to Sheol. Sheol was simply a place of the dead in the Old Testament. It could be a place of judgment, but not necessarily. Um, Haman's lament here in verses 3 through 7 are very similar to uh, Job's in Job chapter 7, when Job said, Remember that my life is but breath. My eyes will not see, again, see good. The eye of him who sees me will, be, will behold me no longer. Your eyes will be on me, but I will not be. When a cloud vanishes, it is gone. I wonder if Linda Shazo had those words in mind when she uh, penned in the hymn, uh, Be Into His Name, We Are a, a Vapor, You Are Eternal. I think she may have had that in mind. So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He will not return again to his house, nor will his place know him anymore. So he also sees himself as forsaken by God and among the dead. Verse 5. Have you ever seen yourself as forsaken by God? Um, he sees himself as put in such a dark place by God himself and even the object of God's wrath. Verse 7. He's buffeted by waves of affliction. He says again in verse 7, Thy wrath has rested upon me and thou hast afflicted me with all thy waves. Perhaps uh, Horatio Spafford, whose grave we visited when we were in uh, Jerusalem recently, had that in mind when he said, when he penned, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Verse 8, the psalmist feels alone. He feels trapped in his situation. And in verse 9, we see his whole being pleading with God. Look at verse 9. Uh, his, his eyes are cried out. 
His voice is calling out and his hands are spread out. With his entire being, he is pleading with God. Look at verses 10 through 12 now, if you would. I'm going to read it. Wilt thou perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise thee? Will thy loving kindness be declared in the grave, thy faithfulness in Abaddon or the place of destruction? Will thy wonders be made known in the darkness and thy righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? We do not know what the cause of such spiritual, emotional suffering was. But it could be that some of us here this morning have felt or are feeling that same kind of suffering. Certainly many of us have felt that fear of death at various times in our lives. At those fearful times, one thing that I think is helpful is to take those verses and to flip them. Look at the verses again. God does perform wonders for the living. The living do rise and praise him. His loving kindness and faithfulness are declared by and to the living. And the living experience God's righteousness. Well, you say that doesn't help me much uh, when I feel this way, but more on that in a moment. For now, concerning the closing verses of Psalm 88. Haman perceives that God has rejected him in spite of his prayers. Verse 14. O Lord, why dost thou reject my soul? Why dost thou hide thy face from me? His cry to God is that God has a burning anger toward him and has filled him with terror to the point of being destroyed. Verse 16. And then he closes the psalm in loneliness and darkness. I've been there. And I know most of you pretty well. I know some of the things you've been through. I think you've perhaps been there as well. But I want us to notice that this dear Old Testament saint has affirmed his continuing faith in God by crying out to him, by pleading with him. Let's look at this. Verse 1, he cries out to God day and night. Verse 2, he prays to God. Again, verse 2, he pleads with God to listen to his cry. Verse 9, he calls to this personal God daily, constantly. Again, in verse 9, he spreads out his hands to him. Verse 13, he cries out to God for help. And again, in verse 13, he starts his day with this constant prayer. He's not giving up. He hangs on. He hangs on to the only sure anchor 
because while, he's being, while he is being pounded, while he's being buffeted with overwhelming affliction, he knows that only one person never gives way. To him he clings, and so must we. When all spiritual orientation is gone, God's wrath wasn't really on him, at least not in any eternal sense. When all our doctrinal understanding seems shaken, he's there. He's there. And so since this is an Old Testament saint, I want, to, I want first to give three helps uh, from the Old Testament for him and for us. So here's the first one. I'm sorry this is so small. Uh, I had to get a lot, or I felt like I needed to get a lot on one slide, so if you can't read it, just listen. <laughs> Any wrath of God, real or imagined, that falls on the believer is temporary. It is not to the condemnation of the soul. Job, again, said in chapter 14, verse 13, Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath returns to you, that you would set a limit for me and remember me. Any wrath of God, real or imagined, that falls on the believer is temporary. It is not to the condemnation of the soul. Secondly, darkness is the theme of this psalm. And yet when darkness descends on the life of a believer, it gives a special opportunity to trust God. In fact, did you know that there are places in the scripture that actually talk about God being in the darkness? Look here, Psalm 1811. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him, darkness of waters, thick clouds in the skies. And then again in Psalm 97, verses 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. God is in the darkness. And then third, and this is kind of a hinge principle to take us to the New Testament. Isaiah prophesied that Messiah would be afflicted with the afflictions of his people. He says, in all their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved him. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them. And he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Isaiah here is speaking of the servant of God, the pre-incarnate Christ. But he's also speaking in the future of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, 
we in the in the church age um, have the benefit of looking back and seeing what the Lord Jesus did on the cross. His victory over sin and death. His resurrection that he's seated at the right hand of the Father now. And that's why as we juxtapose what the psalmist has just said with what the Apostle Paul said in his letter to the Philippians, for me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So let's look at three New Testament helps when all seems hopeless. In the life of our Lord, suffering preceded glory. Luke 9, 22 through 32 is a good passage to read when you have time to do that. It is also true that as those growing into his image, suffering will precede glory in our lives too. Romans 8, 16 and 17, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. John Owen said this, It is precisely because of his sufferings that he is glorious and precious in the sight of believers. 1 Peter 2, 6 and 7. For in these sufferings, Christ was the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. It is only because the God of this world has blinded their eyes that men fail to see the meaning of the cross of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 6. But it is in these sufferings that we behold the glory of Christ's work as our mediator. Secondly, our Lord Jesus as our Savior suffered far beyond the afflictions that we suffer. His suffering has paid, his, with his suffering he paid for our sin and he died that death may die. 1 Corinthians 15, 25 and 26, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. And then in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. 
And finally, God knows how you feel. Hebrews 4, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but has been in all ways tempted as we are, and yet without sin. He's working out his purposes for you. Don't give up. Don't demean the character of God because of circumstances. On the contrary, use the deep pit you are now in to show his glory in a way that you could not otherwise. You know, Psalm 88 doesn't end on a triumphant note, does it? I think that's kind of a good thing because sometimes we're in that pit. It just doesn't feel like it's going to end. It just doesn't feel like it. And I think Haman the Ezraite was feeling that. But God is going to write the final verses of your psalm. And they will be glorious and worth waiting for. We have it on the authority of his word. And as we come to the Lord's table in a few moments, we can think about as we go through this fallen world, fallen people, fallen creation, that we have a sure hope in the future. Maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know about that sure hope. Uh, maybe when you face those times of uh, devastating trial, um, you have all kinds of inappropriate ways of dealing with them. I want to tell you that there's only one way to deal with the trials of this life and to be assured of eternity with God in the future, and that is to trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're here and you've never done that, I want to encourage you to talk to uh, any number of people here uh, after the service. I'd be glad to share more about that with you. We're going to um, go to our time in the Lord's table in just a minute, but I have a couple of things that I'd like to say first. Um, one is, I'm sorry we didn't get our, our sharing time there, and I want us to uh, especially to uh, remember to pray for the Guzman family. Um, Cassie is uh, uh, even uh, now in the, in the process of, of uh, miscarrying the baby. We want to gather around them and uh, and be there for them and certainly to lift them up in prayer. Um, the other thing I want to say is uh, a little unusual and that is that um, the I, I have said and I think most of you agree with me that the, that the panic uh, surrounding this uh, corona virus is at least for now, worse than the disease itself. That said, um, we do have a number of people in our con congregation that are immune compromised, and I think it's you know probably just good hygiene anyway 
that if you uh, are here this morning and you even suspect you uh, might be contagious in some way, uh, please either, before you take the communion bread, use some hand sanitizer, or uh, you know have the person next to you to take it for you put it in your hands. So let's just uh, let's just uh, not only practice good hygiene but practice good compassion for one another uh, in, in doing that.